0: Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your people. It is a, it's a joy just to worship with them and to fellowship together, to worship and sing and look in your word. And Lord, I don't know what's been going on in their individual lives, but you do. And I would pray, Father, that you would speak into their lives right now the truth, that you would let them know how much you care, you'd let them know how much you love them, Lord God, that you would also challenge us and stretch us in areas of obedience in our life. And Lord, I pr- I pray that you would grant me your favor and liberty as I preach. I I pray, Lord, that I can, again, just wrap my arms around your people and let them into my life and share with them and encourage them, and that you'd grant me physical strength and spiritual leading. And Lord, that it would just be a, a good time in your house together as your children, And for any who do not know you, I I do pray today would be the day of salvation, Lord. That they would place their faith in you. And we just ask for your blessing now and the rest of this service in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a dad um, who is very, very generous. He has always been very generous and his generosity simply astounds me at times. Um, He has blessed my family and many other families uh, in, in many ways. He's, uh, through the years, he's helped my wife and I with down payments on homes, never expecting anything in return. He's given us gifts at times, enabling us to to purchase vehicles. He paid for our our basement to be finished. He's paid for every single one of my kids to go to a Christian school, all five of them, from elementary through high school, every single one of them. And, And I understand not everyone's dad has the ability to do those things, and I don't take that for granted and I am very grateful to my dad. And, and I honestly understand that I, I probably will not be able to do for my kids and for my grandkids what, what he has done for our family. My dad, he has a spiritual gift, and the spiritual gift is giving. And he loves to give. He, he models generosity, and he models giving, and he believes and he lives by God's principles and promises on giving. Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25, he lives by it. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. In 2 Corinthians 9, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And later on, we learn that God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And that is my dad. 1 Timothy 6, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. In Acts twenty thirty five, say it together with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and that's my dad. He has taken hold of life indeed, and he just, is, just loves to give. He's more blessed in his giving than in his receiving. My dad, to me, is a, is a great example of generosity, but I want to tell you something. He pales in comparison to your heavenly father. Nothing compares to your heavenly father. He gives and he gives and he gives and he continues to give. All that he has done on our behalf, he provides year after year, month after month, day after day, hour after hour, second by second. Every breath you breathe is a gift from your heavenly father. You could not live without God's good gifts. And time and time and time again, He has given to us in so many ways that we will not even recognize this side of heaven. We don't recognize it. He just continues to give. And I want us to see the generosity of our God to His people Israel in Nehemiah chapter 9 and be reminded of His generosity to us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And as you're turning there, remember, we've seen God's incredible commitment to His people even though they did not deserve it. He faithfully led them day and night and spiritually taught them and he fed them and he bodily clothed them and he never forsook them over 40 years. And all they did was whine and grumble and complain and rebel and whine and grumble and complain and rebel but he was committed to them and he showed that commitment and he showed that love and today we see his generosity and I want to start by understanding this. The incredible generosity of God, first thing we see is that he gives constantly. He just gives and gives and gives and gives. And those words, give and gave, are used 14 times in Nehemiah chapter 9. 12 different verses. Verse 6 and verse 7 and twice in verse 8 and verse 13 and 15 and twice and 20 and 22 and 24 and 27 and 30 and 35 and 36. He just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. There's so much giving going on. He's such a generous God. He gives life to his creation and a new name to his servant Abram and land to his people and the good word he gives to his people and promises and physical sustenance and his spirit and victories and deliverance and just great goodness. God continues to Give and give again to his people. Our God is a very giving God and we need to be mindful of that and we need to be grateful for that because too oftentimes we forget how much God has given to us and we whine and we grumble and we complain and yet God has given us so much. I think we need to be mindful and we need to be grateful and we also need to be more like God and less like this world. Because we live in a world that's full of takers. They just want, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. We we live in a world full of people constantly asking, what's in it for me? What, What do I get out of this? And I want you to understand, God doesn't want us to be like the world, he wants us to be like him. And he's a giver, and he's generous. And we shouldn't be asking, what do, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? We should be asking, what can I do to help? What can I give? What can I contribute? And start being less like this world and more like our God. Remembering as Acts twenty thirty five teaches, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The incredible generosity of our God, he gives constantly. I want you to notice verse 22. He gives victory. Victory to his people. He gave them kingdoms and people. And these kingdoms were over Sihon, king of Eshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. Victory over powerful kings and powerful people. And you know the story of Israel. Walls crumbled before them as God's people marched. And giants fell as God's people fought. And enemies scattered as God's people advanced. And here in context we have victory over these two kings. They took possession over the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon. And the land of Ag, king of Bashan. And the first one is Sihon. It's recorded in Numbers 21 and also Deuteronomy 2. This man is an Amorite king. Now you have to understand, Israel was just passing through his territory. This was on the east of the Jordan. They were not in the promised land yet. They came to him with words of peace, we read. They only desired to pass through and they promised not to turn off to the left or to the right in any field or any vineyard. And the response of this king was absolute refusal and he gathers his people for war and he attacks Israel. And that was the worst decision and last decision he ever made. For he lost his life and lost his land. Another king, Ah, king of Bashan. Recorded in Numbers 21 and Deuteronomy 3, he's a slow learner. He didn't learn from the king up the road, Sihon, and he doesn't fare any better. And he declares war on Israel. He picks a fight with God's people and he is completely destroyed, obliterated, and loses his life and loses his land as well. It's recorded in Deuteronomy three. They captured all the cities at that time, not a city which they did not take from them sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these were the cities fortified with high walls, gates, bars, great number of unwalled towns as well. We utterly destroyed them. And by the way, Og is an interesting fellow. We read in Deuteronomy three eleven, he's of the race of giants. His bedstead was was of iron bedstead. and It is in Rabbah of sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits. Its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. His bed was 13 and a half foot long by six foot wide. He's a big man. The bulls could use this guy just to let you know. Most commentators place him at 11 to 12 feet tall. This is a huge monstrosity of a man. So you have Sihon picking a fight with God's people, and you have Og picking a fight with God's people, and there's some important lessons we learned. If you pick a fight with God's people, you pick a fight with God. If you pick a fight with God's people, you pick a fight with God, and God doesn't lose fights. Exodus 15, 3 tells us, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is His name. He's no pushover. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He doesn't lose. He wins every single time. God fights on behalf of his people. Moses had to remind the people of God this in Exodus 14. Don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. You know what he says? Sometimes you just need to keep your big mouth shut and let God fight for you. Some of you think you got to do all the fighting, and you gab, 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 and talk, 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 and dad, gab, gab, and talk, 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 and God is saying, why don't you just shut up and let me fight for you. Sometimes we need to remember Deuteronomy 129. As the people were going into the land and there were giants in the land, some of you have giant problems he says, don't be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God goes before you and he himself will fight on your behalf. Giant problems are nothing for a giant God. They're preparing the cross to Jordan. Deuteronomy 3.22, do not fear them. The Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Reminded again. Ne- Nehemiah in this book, chapter 4.20, they're working on the wall. Whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Over and over and over, the people of God need to be reminded. God fights for you. God fights for you. God always leads us to victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We have an incredible, generous God. He gives constantly. He gives victory. And he gives his people territory. Verse 22 and then part of 23 and 24. says, you allotted them a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of Og. Verse 23, you brought them into the land. Verse 24, their sons entered and possessed the land. You subdued before the inhabitants of the land, the peoples of the land. The land was a big deal then. The land of Israel is a big deal now. He gives them territory, and God gave them the promised land. This is what he promised to Abraham in Genesis 13. He told Abram, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, look northward, look southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth. I will give it to you. Later on in chapter 15 of Genesis, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given the land from the river Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis 17, 8, he's reminded again, I'll give you to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God says, All this land. Now, the ultimate fulfillment has yet to take place. But all that land will be the peoples of God, His chosen people. Promised land. And then we have this territory east of the Jordan the land of Sihon and the land of Og, recorded in Deuteronomy 3. It's close to 3,000 square miles. Here's a map. On the east side of the jordan that red dotted line shows you the significant amount of land that the children of god were given by god it's roughly the size of the state of delaware just to give you some perspective or to bring it closer to home it's the size of cook will kendall and dupage counties combined it's 3000 square miles now what's interesting here it was promised land but the promise was delayed by 40 years. Verse 23, the second half. You brought them into the land. Now God did his part. God always does his part. Give credit to whom credit is due. God brought them into the land. God gave you what you have. God brought you to where you are. That job you have is because of God's grace. Those children you have are a gift from God. The talent you've been given is a gift from God. Don't take credit for what God has given you. Give him the credit. He brings them there, but the promise is delayed for 40 years. It says, you brought them to the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. Don't miss this. Their fathers had the opportunity to believe and could have entered in. Their fathers had the opportunity to obey and could have enjoyed victory. Disbelief and disobedience forfeit the blessings of God. Disbelief? And disobedience forfeit the blessings of God. And these were blessings reserved for them that someone else gets. God has blessings reserved for you. And someone else is going to get them. Because you continue to disobey. And because you continue to disbelieve. I just want you to understand that. These guys missed the blessing because of their disobedience. Their children got it. They didn't. They missed the blessing because of their disbelief. Aren't you tired of missing the blessings of God because of your disobedience? Aren't you tired of missing the blessings because of your disbelief? When are you finally going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. And God, I'm going to obey you. You know the area of your life. He's revealed it to you in your soul and in your mind. And God is saying, someone else is going to get the blessings because you won't change. In your stubbornness and in your arrogance, you're refusing to change. Won't you let God give you his blessings? Won't you just start to believe him and trust him? Won't you just obey him finally? And say, God, it's time. I want to obey you. I want to believe you. Don't die in the wilderness when you can move into the promised land. It makes no sense for you to die out in the wilderness when God has the promised land for you. It's incredible generosity. Don't miss it. He gives constantly, and he gives victory, and he gives territory. In verse 23, he gives posterity. That's family, children. Look at verse 23. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. That's exactly what God had promised Abraham. Genesis 13 16. I'll make your descendants like the dust of the earth. If anyone can number that. Genesis 15 5. Took them outside. Look at the heavens. Count the stars if you're able. So shall your descendants be. Genesis 22. I'm going to greatly bless you and multiply you. Your seed will be like the stars of heaven and as the sand which is at the seashore. He says, I'm going to make you so numerous, it'll be like the dust, it'll be like the stars, it'll be like the sand at the beach. And boy, was there a population explosion. Jacob and his 12 sons would enter Egypt as 70 people. And they would meet up with Joseph there. Genesis 46 Verse twenty seven tells us there were seventy. Exodus one five tells us they were seventy in number. Four hundred four hundred and thirty years would pass, Exodus twelve forty one. Four hundred and thirty years at the very day all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. They're in there, in Egypt. Years of slavery, and God brings them out in the Exodus. How many came out? We read in Exodus 12, 37. They journeyed from Ramses to Sokoth about 600,000 men on foot. Just the men, not including the babies and the children and the women. More exact number, numbers 232, 603,000, men. Most commentators believe that's roughly two million people strong, when you count the wives and kids at least. They went into Egypt, 70 people. They leave Egypt like the sand on the seashore, like the stars of heaven, like the dust of the earth. They just fill the land, two million strong. Let me we say, well, what, what happened to the generation that died off? How'd that affect the numbers? Well, an entire generation died off over those 40 years of wilderness wandering, but an entire generation was born in the wilderness wanderings. And Numbers 26.51 tells us the new number was 601,730. That's just the men again. Just the men. So two million plus strong. Verse 23 says, you made their sons numerous. By the way, give credit to whom credit is due again. God bless them with babies. Every single child you have is a gift from God. Every grandchild you have is a gift from God. Every great grandchild you have is a gift from God. Psalm 127, 3, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Every child is a gift from God and every child is created by God. Psalm 139, 13, you formed my inward parts. You wove me, where? In my mother's womb, I'll give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it very well. Sanctify all of life, for all of life is God's created life, including that little baby in the womb, a gift from the Creator who made that little child. The incredible generosity of our God who gives constantly in victory and territory and posterity and gives personally. Look at verse 25, what these people had to look forward to. Talk about move-in ready. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees, and abundance. Now, every summer, my wife and I take our five kids to the South Jersey Shore. It's where I grew up. And we just enjoy a week on the beach and we play in the surf and the sun and we walk the boardwalk and get ice cream and get ice cream and buy more ice cream and get ice cream and get real pizza and cheesesteak and Jersey sweet corn and Jersey tomatoes and, oh man, we're, oh, it's just, it's unbelievable. You may say you go out there and you stay at the beach. What's that all about? My dad who, who lives out there, he goes ahead and he rents us a home at the shore walking distance from the beach. It's fully furnished. Towels and linens are supplied. And then on top of that, my dad goes shopping, and he stocks the refrigerator, and he stocks the pantry for us so that when we pull up, all we have to do is get out and go into the house. My dad is a very generous man. Anybody want to go to New Jersey this summer with us? (laughs) I told you he was generous. He's been doing that for 20 years now. Every single year. I want you to understand, God does the same thing for his children. Look at verse 25. The land is moving ready. There's fortified towns. In other words, they captured these towns. They weren't destroyed. They were left intact. Fertile fields. They were already cleared and ready and prepared for planting. The work was done. Wouldn't you like to be a farmer? Just show up and the land is already set to go. I mean the homes were filled it says here with every good thing. They were already built and the fridge was stocked and the pantry filled so to speak. There were cisterns. These were reservoirs of tanks that collected rainwater, sometimes dug in the courtyard, sometimes hewn out of rocks. They were they were prized sources of water. In other words, the plumbing was already all hooked up. God just saved them so much time and so much effort and so much work. And the food supply was there. Trees were planted and productive. Olive groves, vineyards, fruit trees. They didn't even have to wait for them to mature. They were ready for the picking the moment they moved into the land. That was the goodness of their God. And by the way, that's the goodness of our God. Some of you struggle with worry how you're going to make ends meet, how you're going to make it. You struggle with God's provision. And you need to be reminded how good your God is. He will take care of every single one of your needs. And don't you forget it. Luke chapter 12, I want you to read this passage with me. Everyone read this. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Just consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life That's a good question. Is that making you live a little bit longer, worrying? Don't think so. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? And then later in the passage, but your father knows that you need these things, But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He says there's only one thing you need to be concerned about, and that's seeking my kingdom. Start seeking the kingdom of God. Start expanding the kingdom of God. See, see, a lot of us have been too worried about our own little kingdoms. No wonder you're worried, because your kingdom is piddly nothing. And God says, when you start focusing on my kingdom, my will, my righteousness, and aligning your life with me, you got nothing to worry about. And if you don't do that, you got everything to worry about. He says, you just seek my kingdom, and you have nothing to worry about nothing at all. He he says, because I've chosen you to give you the kingdom. He says, you're my child. I love you. I care for you. I sent my son to die on the cross for your sins. I've proven my love for you. God will provide all of your needs. Philippians 4, 19. Let's say it together. And my God will supply All your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing. The generosity of God who gives constantly in victory and territory and posterity and personally, and he gives abundantly. Look at the end of this one verse here. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. It's kind of a summary statement. They were filled and they were fat. No, they weren't Americans. Understand. And doesn't have anything to do with gluttonous and being overweight. It means satisfied and fully nourished. It means they lacked nothing, is what it means. They reveled in the great goodness of God. Now, reveled, here's a fancy word for you, phrase, is a hapax legomenon. So, What? A hapax legomenon means it's used only one time and one time only, the word reveled in Scripture. It's the only use. They reveled in the great goodness of God. They enjoyed sustenance and satisfaction. I kind of look at it like a Thanksgiving day, but every day. You know, on Thanksgiving day, you just, you feast and you spend time with family and friends, And you're just amazed and you're grateful and filled with gratitude that day. That's what it was like. They moved into the land and they were overwhelmed with the generosity of their God and and the abundant provisions and they just feasted on the favor of their generous, gracious, good God. Truly we read in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and what? And might have it abundantly. The incredible generosity of our God, he gives constantly in victory, territory, posterity. He gives personally and he gives abundantly. Just don't stay out in the wilderness or you miss it all. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the good God that you are, ever so gracious, ever so generous, and we praise you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just take a moment right now and talk to the Lord. Maybe some of you just need to worship him right now. Just give him praise for the job that you have and the wife that you have and the husband that you have and the children that you have, the health that you have. Just give him praise for the home that you have. Give him praise. Be grateful for all that he has provided. Maybe there's an area of disbelief and disobedience that needs to be made right with your heavenly Father. talk to him right now. Dare not miss his blessings reserved for you that will be given to another. Confess any areas of disobedience or disbelief, lack of trust. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you just need to know how much God loves you. And he stands ready to give you the gift of salvation. He will forgive all of your sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt that you have in your soul. He knows about your sin and he still loves you. And you may say, Scott, I want God in my life. I need his forgiveness. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, I invite you just to call out in faith. Just call out with words like these. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. But I know that you are a merciful God. Please show me mercy. Please grant me your grace. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Save me and forgive me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord tonight, we would just love to talk to you about that decision and just encourage you in a relationship with Christ. and. Uh,